the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Change makers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Each of us carries wounds in our bodies, minds, and spirits that can hinder our lives at work and at home. How do we manage these pain points, overcome our fears, and come out stronger on the other side? Today's guest, Kathy Hagler, teaches how to foster healing, compassion, and communication in order to forge stronger professionals and organizations. Kathy is a business consultant who is the author of the book, Art of Scars. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much. Kathy, each of us carries wounds that can hinder our lives at work and at home. From the work that you've been doing for all of these years, what have you learned? How do we manage these pain points, overcome our fears, and come out stronger on the other side? What I've learned is that everything breaks. I've learned that not only does everything break, but everything can heal. And there's a way for that to happen. I um, have been, been very fortunate to learn some very interesting facts from a man named W. Edwards Demi, who learned about wabi-sabi when he actually was a consultant to the Japanese and um, after Hiroshima, he helped rebuild Japan. But wabi-sabi really means in, in the Japanese literature, it really means that everything is imperfect. So what I learned was that everything is imperfect, but that everything can heal. It just will heal differently. And I learned that by actually following up on wabi-sabi and learning about the fact that there is an art out of that wabi-sabi philosophy called kintsugi. And kintsugi is the beautiful broken vase that you can see in an art shop that the breaks are filled in with gold. So I learned that if you can accept the fact that you're broken, or if organizations can accept the fact that they're broken, but that they can heal, and they can be broken and filled in with gold. And as a piece of art, the art is more beautiful with golden scars than it was before. And I've learned the process on how to do that, both as a person and an organization. Well, and I love what you just described, Kathy, because I think so many times when we experience pain or loss or some type of a situation that breaks us, we tend to think that we will stay broken and that we can't heal or move forward. So filling in the breaks with gold, I mean, that's beautiful. I remember the work that I'm doing, it came from a lot of personal loss and a lot of of pain. And, and I remember my son saying to me one day, he said, your heart is broken and that's okay. It's in pieces. But maybe when you put it back together again, it won't be the same way. But that doesn't mean that it still won't be a beautiful functioning heart. And he was young when he said that to me. And so I think that that's a, a wonderful message because when it gets put back together, we want it to be the same way. But when it's not, that's okay. That's very much okay. And it sounds like your your young son was an older, wiser man from a long time ago. And it sounds like he understood what he was talking about. And when when your heart breaks and it's in number one, when something's broken, a wound like your heart, it hurts like hell. And then then it starts to heal. And when a wound starts to heal and it gets away from the hurt like hell point of view, 
it starts being it starts going through a thing called prolifer- proliferation, which means that it's cleaning out and rebuilding itself. And as your heart rebuilds itself, which is what's what he is saying, is then a scar begins to form, and the scar, believe it or not, makes you stronger. The scar tissue, actual scar tissue, is stronger than you were before. So what your son said is that not only will your heart heal, you're going to be stronger and you're going to be more beautiful than you were before. And I bet you are. Absolutely. I mean, my life is something, the way I live now, it's something that I could have never imagined had I not gone through all of that pain. And I think that is the situation for so many people. And that's why I love your book, The Art of Scars, because we try to avoid the the pain and the scars, but they are, as you said, they make us stronger and they can really change everything about our lives if we allow it to. And it's so important, I think, Joan, for, and what I found for uh, individuals and for organizations that I've worked with is that you have to help them get the vision of, of the possibility of fine art. So the fine art of scars is the product. And once you see that beautiful broken vase with gold, you see it's unique. Because when it was broken and all the pieces were laying on the floor or on the table, it looked, oh, my goodness, it'll never heal. But once you see it put together with a golden joinery, it's, a whole, it's worth a whole lot more than it was before. So when you show that to someone and say, you used to be laying on the floor broken, but look what you look like now. So get that in your mind. Get that vision in your mind of this beautiful golden joined vase and understand that it will be different, but it will be better. Kathy, can you share with us what the acronym SCAR stands for? Yes, and I've learned that. It's, it's really interesting, John, because once I learned about wabi-sabi and being imperfect and the understanding of being a, a, vase, a, a Kintsugi vase, I thought, you know, I really want to go through the process. So I found a Kintsugi artist, believe it or not, in my little tiny town of Hendersonville, North Carolina. And I said, would you help me make the Kintsugi vase? And so she took me through the process of actually breaking a vase and pulling it together and creating a golden joint vase with gold. And, and through that process, I took notes of what it looks like. And so S stands for stop the broken thoughts and feelings, because you have to stop saying I'm wounded. You have to stop in your subconscious, reminding yourself that you're broken. You have to stop the thoughts and say, okay, I'm open to believing that I can heal. So I'm going to stop those broken thoughts and feelings. And once you do that, the C and this is what I saw when I made the vase. The C stands for courageously calm your fear, because guess what? Fear is what's inside us. So once we're broken, the first thing we do is we get scared. And so you have to calm that fear, because if you don't calm the fear, you're going to do one of three things. You're going to flee, you're going to fight, or you're going to freeze. And so you can't let your subconscious mind put you into a fear mode of running away or being fighting someone and being destructive or freezing. So you have to courageously calm the fear. That's C. And A, which I just love the A, it's allow connectivity with others. And basically what that means is I asked the artist at that point when I saw all the fear I had about putting this broken vase together and I started calming my fear, I asked her if she would help me. And so it's allow connectivity with others. And what I've learned in working with organizations is it's not about, it's not just about survival. It's, it's about snuggling together. So it's not surviving together. It's snuggling together. So what you do is you get close to someone and you say, will you help me? And once you come together with someone and they bring you their wisdom, it's almost like they reach in into your heart and give you a hand. And they help you rise up. So with the help of the artist, I rose up. And after allowing connectivity, then together the R is you reinvent your plan and you take the first step. The hardest thing for me to do, Joan, when I was putting that base together, was to pick up that first big piece of brokenness and figure out, where am I going to put glue on it to put it back onto the base? Because I knew I could do it wrong, and that was fair again. So she, through her connectivity, said, 
let's create a plan. Let's put this biggest piece in there, the biggest piece of chart, and let's make your vase beautiful. So we created a plan. We cleaned all the pieces. We created a plan, and we started pasting it in with gold with gold and glue. It's a, it's a mixture that you make. So it's reinventing your plan, reinventing it, and taking the first step. And after I took the first step, I felt this surge of pride. I mean, it's like somebody inoculated me with a pride shot. I felt, I'm so happy I'm doing this. I'm actually doing this. And then I saw the beautiful vase. And then the S stands for, I share my story. And so I wrote my book. Because the art of scars is not only do you have this beautiful vase as a product, but there's a process you have to go through to get out of your woundedness, get through your fear, and get to the beautiful vase. And you've mentioned a few times the hardest part was making the decision to do so. And and I agree with that because I say that healing and moving forward is a choice. There was a point in my life where I had to decide, I had to choose that I no longer wanted to go in the one direction that was keeping me stuck and in pain and living as a victim of my life. And I made that decision to heal, as you say, to put all the pieces back together. And then once you do, really everything changes as you just outlined for us. Everything changes. And I, uh, I was invited um, uh, about a year ago to give a presentation about this to a group of doctors and a, a group of cancer surgeons that was following my cancer. And basically I told the story of the mule. And that's really what helped me understand it is that a farmer had an, had an old an old well and an old mule and the mule fell in the well and he was in there braying away like mules do and the farmer looked down at him and the mule was crying really big tears. They're the only animals that have tears and the farmer felt really bad but he thought, you know, I, these are both old. I'm going to go, I'm going to go cover him up. So he got some neighbors and they started throwing dirt in on this mule and the mule was standing there saying, well, I have a choice. I can just let this dirt bury me or I can figure something out here. You know, I can calm my fear, and I can figure it out. So what he did is he shook off the dirt, and every time he shook off a little dirt, it made a little pile. And he put one hoof on one pile, and then they'd throw more dirt, he'd shake it off, and he'd put the other hoof up, and before you knew it, he stepped out of the well. So what I believe is you can step out of the well of fear, but you do that by making that decision. So it moves from your subconsciousness of fear, which basically says, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I can't stand this pain. I can't stand these wounds. I'm going to die. And then you decide, well, maybe I'm not going to die. And you move into your consciousness, and you actually begin to do something. You move into consciousness and intentionally decide to live. And it's baby steps. You, You know, people sometimes think, once you make that decision, it's like flipping a switch and everything is fine. And it's that's the furthest thing from the truth, but it is no, baby steps, one step after another. It's that mule putting that one foot up. And then remember, I said he had to shake off the dirt. Right. So each time, each time you put a foot up, you've got more dirt. So right. my, 20 years ago today, my son was killed in a car wreck. He was 20. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, and so... 20 years ago, I decided I was going to, I was going to die. And my husband decided he was going to die. We both kind of decided that, you know, in our little heart of hearts. And I decided I was going to shake it off and begin to live. So I began to live. My husband did not. And he died. He died of cancer. And so what happened to me is then I got cancer. So I decided that, wait a minute, it's two, It's a step at a time. You know, first I had to shake it off after Jeff died. Then I had to shake it off after Mike died. And then I actually wasn't doing it enough. I really wasn't convinced I could live. But after my cancer, I said, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to make it. And I shook it off and stepped out of the well. And that's what you have to do. But it, it's these little decisions along. And are they easy? No, <laughs> they're not easy. But they're doable. And at the end, I feel like now I'm a vase of, with filled with gold. And will I have some more? Yes. But then I'll know how to do it again. 
And first, you know, I want to say that I'm so sorry for your losses that, you know, I can only imagine. I mean, I had a young brother who passed away, so I understand parents who wanted to stop living. My parents did as well. So I am very sorry for that and then the loss of your husband as well. But it does illustrate the power in making that choice, everything you've experienced that has brought you to this point today of the gold in the cracks. I mean, that really does give all of us hope that we can follow a similar path if we choose to do so. And you know, it's uh, the last song that my son and I heard. We were sitting up at our cabin in the mountains before he went back to the Navy. Uh, He was killed five days after September 11th in the Navy and 20 years ago. But we were sitting at the cabin and we were listening to Garth Brooks' song, The River. And basically it says, you know, I'm going to sail my vessel till the river runs dry. I'm going to stay between the shore and I'm going to ride those waves. Well, for a long time, and that that was just in my song. And so I I wrote him every day when he was in the Navy and he was killed. And I I went back to that song and said, you know, I'm just going to fight. I'm going to stay between the shore. But what I've discovered, Joan, is that it's not just about fighting it every day. I decided that I would be much better off if I were the river, and I just flowed with it. So I've decided that I'm the river, and that if I can just flow with the things that happen, but always know that there's a way for me to heal, because I, I can be healed with gold. And so I'm trying to flow with it, and everything that happens to me, have I had other things happen? Yes, I have. But I flow with it and say, okay, calm my fear get some help, allow connectivity with others, and create a plan forward. And you consciously do that. You make an intention to survive. You make an intention to snuggle with other people, not just survive, but snuggle. There's survivability and snuggleability. And so I can ask people to help me, and then I step out of the well and learn that. Kathy, for someone who's listening to us right now, and you and I keep speaking about making the decision to do so and then, you know, moving from that point on. But that person is so stuck in saying right now, I just can't. I can't do it. What do you say to that person? I say to that person that the first thing you have to do is to look at, you look at stop the broken feelings. The first, the first thing you have to look at is, are you really broken? Or did you lose somebody? Is that somebody else? So I suggest to them they really get in touch with themselves and they ask themselves, what do I want instead? If I don't want to be broken, what do I want instead? And if they say, well, what I'd like to do instead, I'd like to have a purpose. You know, I'd like to have a reason to live. And what I suggest then is to say, well, what what are you afraid of? What is what are you afraid of? What are you what are you afraid will happen? If you start living and they ask them to look at their fears and then to talk to somebody about their fears and to say, is that something you want instead? Can you do away with that fear and you get someone to help you look at it? Then once you begin to look at that fear with someone else and it begins to break down, because one of the things that you find out about fear, once you start looking at it, it starts going away because fear stands for false evidence appearing real, false evidence appearing real. It's really not going to happen. Just because the other person died, you don't have to die. So that fear, which is saying, they died, so I'm going to die. No, you don't have to die if you don't want to. So what you have to do is to say, okay, that fear, let's look at it. Well, my fear is I can't survive. And then you say, well, what would I rather do? Well, I think I'd like to live. Then you figure out, how can I get some help to live and create a new plan for your life? The book is Art of Scars. If you'd like to get more information about Kathy and her work, you can visit kathyhagler.com. That's H-A-G-L-E-R, kathyhagler.com. Kathy, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I would like to leave your, your listeners with this, is that we all have a subconscious mind that is programmed. It runs 95% of all of our actions We have to decide that we want control with our conscious mind and decide, I want to live, and you let your thoughts and feelings move into your consciousness and decide, I want to live, this is what I want instead, this is the direction I go, and then you pick up and you go that direction. You can be beautiful and unique, even though you're broken. You can be filled with gold and joy in you. 
Kathy, thank you so much for spending this time with us. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you, and I really appreciate you helping all of us to learn to see the gold in the breaks. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's time for To Your Health. Joining us today to talk about what we can expect from this upcoming flu season is Dr. Ian Smith, a former co-host of the Emmy Award-winning talk show, The Doctors. Dr. Smith was a medical correspondent for NBC News. He's a New York Times bestselling author who has written for various publications, including Time, Newsweek, and Men's Fitness. Welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Joe. I'm glad to be with you. So, Dr., flu season is here, and we're still in the midst of dealing with covid How will the cold and flu season impact the current pandemic? Well, that's a great question, Joan. You know, last year we had a very mild cold and flu season. And the big reason why it was so mild was because the things that we were doing to prevent COVID, such as washing our hands often, being socially distanced, wearing our masks, those kind of measures to prevent COVID are also the same measures that are very important to preventing the transmission of cold and flu. So we don't know how it's going to be this year. Um, The cold and flu season, of course, kicks off about this time of year in October um, and typically peaks in a couple of months. And so what we want people to do is to understand that continuing to doing those things that we did last year can be very important at avoiding uh, the common cold and flu. And so all these preventive measures are very are very good for us. Uh, Restrictions are loosening up around the country. So there could be a small uptick in cases. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. How can we tell if we're dealing with COVID or just a cold or flu? I know, you know, I, I suffer from allergies. So last week, my nose was starting to get stuffed up and I was on edge thinking like, okay, here it is. You know, this is it. So is there a way that we can tell? Should we get tested every time we have any kind of symptom? Well, that's a great question, Joan. And this is the complexity of COVID-19 is that it has very similar symptoms to the common cold and to the flu. And sometimes there's no way to tell whether or not you have one or the other. Um, Typically, if you are experiencing these symptoms uh, and they last more than 48, 72 hours, um, you should seek, um, you know, a healthcare professional uh, to get checked out. Also, when you get these symptoms, you try something that's over-the-counter. You should always have some type of over-the-counter medication to give you that relief. So if you try something that's over-the-counter and you're still having these symptoms, then you should think about whether or not you should be tested uh, for something else and talking to your healthcare professional. Doctor, what vitamins and supplements do you recommend for prevention and healing? Yeah, you know, you can boost your immune system with vitamins C, D, and E. Uh, that does not mean that you're going to automatically not, you know, come down with uh, an infection, whether it's COVID or the flu or, uh, or, or the common cold. But if you do boost your immune system and you do use these vitamins that you can get through either natural foods or through supplements, at least your immune system is primed. And so it may shorten the length of the disease. It may shorten the severity of the disease. And that's what we're really trying to do. None of these over-the-counter medications, by the way, uh, can cure the common cold or cure the flu, but they can relieve symptoms. And most of us who have been afflicted by these uh, unfortunate situations, we want our symptoms to go away as soon as possible. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the focus. And what about food? What types of things should we be eating to promote immune health? And what should we avoid? 
Yeah. So, you know, let's start with the avoid. Avoiding processed foods, things that are high in sugar and high in fat. Uh, these are not helpful at all for our immune system or for getting our bodies ready to fight disease in the case that we encounter it. Uh, but loading up your plate with colorful fruits and vegetables. These are full of antioxidants. That's very important. Whole grains are extremely important. Uh, and we want people also to understand something, that if you eat food that is closer to how it comes out of the ground or off the tree, it tends to have more of those vitamins, minerals, and nutrients uh, in the more bioavailable space, which means that your body can actually use them better because they're, they're not broken down, they're in the more natural state. That's extremely important. And so while we're talking about colds and flu, what you're advising is just, you know, a really good practice anytime for general overall well-being. Listen, Joan, we've been saying this and your grandmother and mother told you this as a little girl, you know, washing your hands, sneezing into your elbow, into a tissue, making sure you wash down surfaces during the winter. Uh, These are all things that we've known for a long time. And what we've seen um, this past year is it actually works. We were doing it not because we were being good. We we're doing it because we were trying to prevent, um, you know, getting COVID. But we see now that it works. And so I'm hoping that it's, that it's a, a wake-up call to everybody that doing these things can really keep you safe and they're great preventive measures along with uh, having something in your medicine cabinet to help you treat, treat you if you do, unfortunately, get infected and you're experiencing symptoms. And, Doctor, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I just think that, you know, as we head into this season, that people should be optimistic um, and that wearing a mask uh, should not be something you're afraid of, that it can actually help you uh, and help others who are around you uh, prevent these transmissions. We all want to get through the cold and flu season um, as unscathed as possible. And I think that these simple preventive measures make it make a big deal. Go to want more information about cold and flu. Of course, you can go to my Instagram page. I have a lot of uh, free advice and I explain a lot of different situations. So my Instagram is at Dr. Ian Smith, spell the doctor out. I-A-N Smith. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us. Joan, nice talking to you. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered using medical-grade essential oils for improving your immune system? Imagine having your medicine cabinet filled with therapeutic-grade essential oils that can actually improve your health. Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a certified Reiki master. Many essential oils work directly to either fortify the immune response or eradicate the bacteria and viruses that can make us sick. Research suggests that highly concentrated essential oils also have pharmacological and immune-strengthening properties, such as antiviral, antifungal, antiseptic, and anti-inflammatory. Here are some of my favorites for building a stronger immune system. Lavender, when used before bed, can improve your sleep, a critical factor in building a strong immune system. Jasmine has been known for alleviating stress and anxiety. This is critical since studies show that ongoing stress can undermine immunity and leave us vulnerable to both everyday illnesses and chronic disease. And last, frankincense, one of my favorites, is best known for its highly effective inflammation-fighting capabilities. Are you ready to take the initiative for strengthening your own immune system by incorporating essential oils into your daily lives? If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com or call 201-615-0960. Have you ever heard the word subluxation? Well, it's an important word, and a lot of people don't know what it means. Medically, a subluxation simply means a partial dislocation of a joint. In chiropractic, a subluxation is a neurological upset because of a vertebral misalignment. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood, and I'm a chiropractor practicing at Pure Balance Center with offices in Clifton, New Jersey, and in New York City. Now, why are subluxations potentially important to you and your family? The reality is that stresses on our body can cause forces to shift the vertebral column from its optimal alignment and mobility. Really, what this is for you is a separation from wholeness because it disrupts your body's ability to communicate from brain to body. Do you want to be optimally functioning? And do you want to thrive in this life? You must get checked. Simply get checked by a chiropractor to determine if you or anyone in your family has been disrupted by subluxation of the vertebral column. I'm Dr. Michael Magwood. Feel free to reach out to us at purebalancecenter.com. Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. Has COVID affected your receivables? Of course it has. And I'm sure you could probably use some professional help. A true test in choosing a top-notch debt collection agency 
is their recovery rate and the amount of money collected by the agency for their clients. That's a great return on investment. Also important today are the five-star Google reviews about their personnel and services. Wouldn't you hire a collection agency with 830-plus national reviews, over 70% of which are from the debtors that the agency was able to collect funds from? That's great diplomacy. May I suggest Kinnam, the diplomatic debt recovery firm? Our name comes from Kin Family, Num Numbers, Family Before Numbers, People Before Profits. This is Vito Mazza. Reach me at 800 800- 850 5110. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Our next guest, Jose Antonio Bowen, argues that education needs to be redesigned to take into account how human thinking, behaviors, and change really work. Drawing on new research, Jose explores how we can create better conditions for learning that focuses less on teachers and content and more on students and process. After teaching at Stanford, Jose went on to become a professor at Georgetown, a dean at Miami and Southern Methodist Universities, and the president of Goucher College. He is the author of the book, Teaching Change, How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection. Welcome, Jose. Thank you so much for joining us. Glad to be here. So, Jose, you say that it is important for educators to focus on new three R's, being relationships, resilience, and reflection. Why do you believe that this should be our priority? So, as one of your listeners will remember, the old three R's, which were content-driven, or reading, writing, and arithmetic. And so, a lot has changed since then. First of all, the economy uh, and the world um, have changed, and things move more quickly. We're now educating students for jobs that don't yet exist, so we're preparing them for an unknown future. But the other is that we know a whole lot more about the brain and how the brain lives in our body. How much sleep we get, um, what we eat and drink uh, affects how we think. And also, we know a lot more about how we don't really think alone, that we think in groups and how humans evolved uh, to pay attention to who is speaking um, more than what they're saying, or at least first at who is speaking. So teaching students basic content, it made sense for us, uh, you know, a couple of generations ago. And I think even in the last few years, um, since the time I started writing on this book, uh, we realized that learning to change your mind is a lot harder than we thought. And that facts alone don't really do it, that, that trust is the first step uh, in trying to have a conversation with someone. And so uh, my new three R's are relationships, resilience, and reflection. And they're really more about process than just content. For the past 11 years, I've been working with the brand Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. And I created this to try to teach people the power that we have through our own thought process. And it's really been a mission of mine to get this information to our our younger generation, our children, so that they understand the power that they really have within themselves. But one of the things that I'm so afraid of, and and I don't know if you've seen this in, in the work that you've done through the universities, but do you think that because of technology and the way that we're so reliant on social media for messaging. Do you think we've lost the ability for critical thinking? You know, the, the good thing about evolution is that it's slow. So, I, you know, I don't think that humans have lost anything. Uh, but it is true that we evolved in a different era uh, with different sets of skills. So basically, when you want to know how humans operate, think about what we were doing 10,000 years ago. And 10,000 years ago, Uh, Our survival, literally, whether we lived or died, depended on our ability to cooperate and our ability to work in a group, Uh, right? We were mostly, you know, hunting for for mammoths and wild carrots and that sort of thing. And so uh, the ability to say, well, okay, you're going to, you know, you're going to jump out of the tree. You carry the spear. You 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 do this. You do that. um, And knowing who was in your group. And so if I think, you know, I'm not sure you should be in charge and I'm not sure you're telling me the truth. I'm just going to go off on my own and, and, and try to feed myself. Um, you probably died. You probably starved to death. And so we didn't inherit those genes. So the genes that we all have are those that say, 
pay attention to who is talking. And if this person is taller or good looking or has power or is part of some group that we want to belong to, then you should probably listen to them. And that you should listen to them. That's more important even than whether you think they're telling the truth, um, that, that who they are and their position in the organization um, becomes really, really important because that was right more important. Otherwise, we starve to death. So our brains were not set up for all of this constant dopamine uh, addiction, which is, of course, what social media was. It was designed um, to provide a dopamine hit. You know, somebody likes me. Fantastic. I feel great. Give me more. So, so that those two things, right, the dopamine and our ability to, you know, our desire to look for who is speaking and to be uh, socially adept, and by the way, especially for adolescents, right, this is, this is in, in hyperdrive, those things do interfere with our desire to think for ourselves. So we're generally confused. We, we, we think, oh, I can think for myself. I think for myself all the time. And it feels that way, but we're generally not. And so in a lot of ways, this book is about all the ways that we don't think for ourselves, all of the traps that we fall into, and especially as teachers, all of the traps that we fall into because we assume that we, we look at a class full of students and we think, oh, they're all thinking for themselves and I'll just provide new data or new information or we'll have a discussion, one of our favorite tricks. Uh, and in fact, what's really going on in a discussion is the same thing that was going on 10,000 years ago, that people are looking around the room and thinking, well, who are the important people to pay attention to so that I don't starve to death, right? Uh, I, you know, I don't, lo lonely, like, loneliness is another great example of this. Why do we feel lonely? Because, right, feeling lonely is probably not good for your health. Uh, because if you're isolated and the, and the tribe moves on, you might starve to death. So let me go back and join the group and, and hear out what everybody else is thinking. So social media just, just exacerbates that. It does speed up the process to that faster than we can normally think about. And so, uh, you know, we have in some ways brains that were designed for a world that didn't have this much change, right? Didn't, didn't we didn't need to change our minds as often or as quickly 10,000 years ago. So now jobs are changing, information is changing, the world changes faster than the, the evolved brains that we have can keep up. And so we look at other clues to do that. And the most important of those clues are social. So a lot of what we have to do with students and with each other, as, as you've noticed, um, is to point out that we have control over the process, that there are some processes that are better able to slow us down and help us think about what is the process that's needed for me to evaluate this information and not just rely on who is speaking. Because trust is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it means that we trust sometimes the wrong people. We trust people that we have relationships with. But it also means if we slow down, we can think, well, why am I trusting this information? Who is speaking and why do I think it matters so much? And that's really the critical piece for both educators and for individuals, as you've pointed out. Jose, can you share with us a strategy that we can implement that would encourage independent thinking? So the most common one is the one that, that juries do, <laughs> which is um, when you're having a discussion uh, don't start by saying, well, who thinks this and who thinks that and who's in favor, um, right? Start with an anonymous poll, right? Because what happens is that when you're in a meeting, uh, you're in a group and somebody says, hey, um, I want pizza. And the person next door is thinking, oh, you know, I didn't want to go for pizza, but maybe everybody else wants to go to pizza. And the other person is thinking, well, I wanted pizza. And that person, so everybody else must have, right? You gain, so if the first person who speaks or the, um, agrees with you, you grow in confidence. If the first person who speaks disagrees with you, you shrink in confidence. And so an anonymous poll can show the group that, well, actually, um, we're pretty, pretty split. Now, that's probably not the most important thing to do when you're deciding where to go for dinner. Uh, but it is very important if you're trying to decide if somebody goes to prison or not, or if you're trying to make a big decision about um, whether you should have surgery. Um, or, or some other important matter. So, so polling is important. The other is to consider who is speaking and why. Do they have something to the gain? Are they really uh, a trusted source? Do they have expertise about this particular issue? Um, as you know, most of the misinformation is, is information that was, that was 
repeated from somebody else. It's not that the person who you're talking to invented this, um, but they're repeating something they've heard. So number one, right? think before you repost. Think before you repeat. Um, do I really trust this information? Is it really important that I continue to, to, to propagate this uh, in the world? But for teachers in classrooms, the most important thing is to recognize that who is speaking matters uh, and that especially for adolescents, middle school, high school, and higher ed, um, social cues are very, very important. Um, so I'm a big fan of index cards. They are low tech. Uh, and so uh, put down a position, you know, what do you think uh, about this? What is, your, what is your opinion? What are the ideas that support it? And then pass it to the next person, not the whole group, just one other person. Uh, and they turn it over and they write a rebuttal and they pass it back to you. Uh, and you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's a lot easier to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation than it is to discuss something in a group. Because in a group, you're constantly worried, right? The stakes are higher. Oh, my goodness. So all these people are all going to think I'm stupid uh, if I have the wrong opinion. Another technique is to start with empathy, frankly. Um, ra rather than start with, well, here are all the reasons you're wrong. Think about what are the reasons why you might be right? Right? Or why do you think this? What, what are the things that might have happened to this person's life that lead them to think that uh, and, to, and to start with empathy? Because, again, the first R is relationships. And so even if you violently disagree with this person, you're probably not going to change their mind with facts. Uh, and, again, I started you know, thinking about this in schools, but I think we've all now recognized uh, in politics uh, and in our world um, that our democracy suffers from the same problem, that we often try to convince other people with facts rather than starting with, how do I understand why this person thinks this? What might be some of the emotional reasons that this person thinks this? Because emotions play a much larger role in how we think than we tend to acknowledge. The book is Teaching Change, How to Develop Independent Thinkers Using Relationships, Resilience, and Reflection. Jose, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? Well, I have a website, uh, josebowen.com. Uh, I have uh, other books I've written about this, uh, and there's plenty on Google, I suppose. Hopefully some of it's true. <laughs> Jose, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Did you know that hypnosis can help support someone with a breast cancer diagnosis? Hi, I am Mary Beth Battaglia, a certified clinical hypnosis practitioner. It can feel overwhelming and scary to be diagnosed with breast cancer. Hypnosis helps reinforce support in your treatments by utilizing verbiage and visualization so you see the tumors shrinking and leaving your body. Hypnosis supports the mind so you feel that you have the power to help yourself heal and even bring in healing light to the body. Hypnosis helps you deal with the emotional turmoil. With hypnotherapy, you can look within at the cancer to gain insight and find out if there is an emotional connection to it and then you can release it. Hypnosis helps heal the mind, body, and spirit. An openness to hypnosis can connect you to the support, love, and healing that you never thought possible. I am Mary Beth Battaglia, and you can find more information about me and hypnosis at my website, MetroHypnosisCenter.com. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done, and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. We all want to live. 
live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Odette Coronel, a coach who helps people create the life and relationships they want. She is here today to discuss having the right daily habits to lead a happier life. Welcome, Odette. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Joan. Thank you so much for having me on your show. So Odette, today we're going to be talking about habits, and I want to start off by getting your take on why you believe it's important for us to establish good habits. Well, Joan, as human beings, we are all creatures of habit. So whether we realize it or not, we have we all have habits. A habit is an automatic behavior that is triggered by something else. So you know the infinite intelligence of the universe or God made us this way in order to function in the world without having to think about every tiny little thing we do. It saves us time from thinking about a task and making the decision to do something and then having to make that decision over and over again. Now, this is wonderful because it makes life easier. It saves us time. We wake up in the morning and we brush our teeth. We don't have to think about it and decide. We just do it. It's as if we are on autopilot. So, The issue is it's deciding whether the habits that we have are good for us, how they affect our overall well-being, happiness, and success, or are they negatively affecting our lives and keeping us from achieving our goals? It's important to develop that self-awareness and be aware of the habits that we do have and the ones that we should be creating. For example, if we're trying to lose weight, but we're in the habit of eating a piece of cake for dessert after dinner every night, that habit may not get us any closer to our achieving our goal of losing weight and may actually, in fact, be contributing to preventing us from doing so. So again, we want to be aware of our habits and make sure that our habits are not harming us. We want to make sure that our habits are contributing to our overall health and well-being and bringing us closer to our goals and to become the person we want to be. When we don't establish the habits that we do want, we leave room for habits that have a negative effect on our lives. So the type of habits that you just described, and and you just said, when we don't make room for these good habits, we're left with the bad habits. So that's one impact that it will have on our life. But can you elaborate on that a little bit more? What happens when we're only left with bad habits? Well, there's a quote by the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle that says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Another great quote is, I'm not sure who said it, but it's, we first make our habits and then our habits make us. So we have to realize that we are what we do repeatedly. It's really essential to establish good habits because we become in life and we get and create in life. It's a direct result of what we do consistently, our habits. So you don't go into debt if you go over budget ordering from Amazon just one time. Um, And in contrast, you don't become a professional baseball player because you played Little League when you were a kid or become valedictorian of your class because you occasionally get a few A's on your report card. So we have to really pay attention to what we do or what we should be doing over and over again. It's really important that we audit our habits and consciously decide which ones are good for us and which ones we want to continue um, and which ones are leading us to result we're not intending to create and we really don't want. Successful people and people that are happy and satisfied with their lives who create the lives they want have mastered the habits that create the momentum of success and happiness. Do you have an exercise or strategies that you can offer to help us cultivate good habits? Uh, Yes, uh, Joan. It takes good habits to make positive changes in your life. But forming new habits or replacing old ones does take time. It's like crossing a bridge. You have to make your way across slowly one step at a time. If you try to just jump across the other side, you will fail. You won't make it across. It'll probably be pretty painful as well. So small steps and consistency is key. The first step in building a new habit is to focus on one habit at a time that will positively affect your overall well-being or bring you closer to your goals. Associate a cue or a trigger with the new habit. Remember, a habit is an automatic behavior that is triggered by something else. For example, when I wanted to start a daily habit of exercising in the morning, I would wake up, get dressed in my workout clothes, and put on my sneakers. For me, my sneakers were the cue or the trigger to help me make a habit of exercising. An exercise I do with my clients to figure out what habits they should be implementing is doing a life audit. The purpose of the life audit is to establish where you are right now in every area of your life, what you value most, and where you want to be. 
once you're clear on what you value most and where you want to be, you can work on replacing habits that are not helping you get to where you want to be and establish more habits that with consistency will make big changes in your life. The areas of your life that you should audit are family and friends, business and career, health, finances, romance, and personal development. Being aware of the habits that you have and being intentional with the habits you create are key to creating the life you want and accomplishing the goals you want to create without having to decide each day, each moment, what you should be doing. Once the habits you want are created and implemented, working towards accomplishing your goals becomes automatic. Odette, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Odette and her work, you can visit odettecoronel.com. Or as always, to hear more from Odette, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Odette. Less than 2% of America's population volunteers to defend our nation. Though we rarely see them, we live the benefits of these heroes' sacrifices and the freedom we know and the safety we feel. Each and every day, the Gary Sinise Foundation serves our nation by honoring our defenders, veterans, first responders, and their families. We do this by creating and supporting unique programs designed to entertain, educate, inspire, strengthen, and build communities. The Gary Sinise Foundation has grown because the need has never been greater. Together, we'll improve the lives of thousands of American heroes and their families day in, day out, all year long. While we can never do enough to show our gratitude to our nation's defenders, our veterans, our first responders, and the families who stand by them, we can always do a little more. Join us. Visit GarySiniseFoundation.org. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative change your attitude, change your life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>